This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. Well, we would like to talk to you a little bit this morning about a topic you may know about a little bit. It's called surrender. You know, and it's really in relationship to the almighty God of learning to surrender to him. And it tells us here in Psalms 19, verse 14, it it says, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. That's what it's talking about. We want to be pleasing to God. And you think about it for just a moment. Are the words of your mouth, you know, are the meditations of your heart, are they pleasing to God? Let me read one more time. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. You know, tired of struggling with my strong willed three year old son, Thomas. I'm just reading this article. I looked him in the eye and asked a question I felt sure would bring him in line. Thomas, who is in charge here? Not missing a beat, our Sunday school. Born and bred toddler replied, Jesus is mama. Jesus is in charge. She was trying to convince him that she was in charge. But he was persuading her that he was not in charge. Jesus was. And he was right. Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given Complete authority. What's that look like? 100%. It is 100%. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. 100% authority in heaven and on earth. Andrew Murray said, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded or surrendered to him. So I guess the question here is, have we given him complete authority in our lives? Have you? Yes. What about you? Have you given him complete authority? You know, 100% that he's in control of all the areas of your life? In the book of James, chapter 4, verse 7, in the Amplified Bible, it says, So submit, surrender is what it's talking about. So submit to the authority of God, resist or oppose the devil, stand firm against him, and he will flee from you. I like the idea of the devil fleeing from me and fleeing from us as believers who have an awesome, fantastic relationship 
with Almighty God himself. So submit to the authority of God, resist the devil, stand firm against him, and he will flee from you. You cannot resist the devil until you surrender to God. And once you surrender your life to him, you can resist the enemy of our soul. Verse 8 says, come close to God with a contrite, a, a repentant heart, and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your unfaithful hearts, is what he's talking about here, you double-minded people. Be miserable and grieve and weep over your sin. You are disobedient to God. Let your foolish laughter be turned to mourning and your reckless joy to gloom. Humble yourselves with an attitude of repentance and insignificance in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. He will lift you up. He will give you purpose. He hears people back there. How y'all doing? No, y'all can come on out if you want to. <laughs> They're nervous now. <laughs> okay. Do we need to start out? <laughs> no. Let me see. You were just reading that. Um, we were not saved so that we could be polished, decorative knickknacks sitting on God's shelf, filling space in heaven for eternity. No, we were born with special talents and abilities and have been saved by the grace of God. The most appropriate response to this amazing gift is to make ourselves completely available. And that means surrendered for Him, thus fulfilling our calling. In light of these things, what then should we do? Perhaps you feel a desire to respond by offering your life as a rocket booster to propel God's kingdom forward. But you were not sure where to begin. When Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul, met the Lord on the road to Damascus, this was his question. Lord, what do you want me to do? Hmm. Acts chapter 9 verse 6. A simple question. Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Have you ever said something like that to Almighty God? Yes. Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Because he will let us know. Should I go to the mission field or medical school, be a construction worker, businessman, chef, or pastor? Discovering God's will for your life is not a matter of determining what you want, but what God wants. If a spirit, it's a spiritual quest of utmost significance, and the Holy Spirit must be the one leading you. You know, this is really a prayer right here. It says, let's begin this journey by praying for guidance and direction. Heavenly Father, 
I present my life to you today as a living sacrifice. Because you gave your son Jesus for me. I give myself fully to you. This is my reasonable service. I lay my dreams and desires at your feet. And I ask that your will be done in my life. Use my mortal hands to build your eternal kingdom. Use my life to propel your purposes forward with conviction as I take hold of it with passion. In Jesus' name, amen. And what we're saying here is, I surrender. I surrender. I, I, I'm, you know, ready to give up. Ready to give up to God when you think about it. I submit myself to the almighty God to yield oneself to the power or authority of another, to obey. A dependent position is to obey the almighty God. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you say, I surrender? <laughs> that's, that's what comes to my mind, is just to, to lift up our hands, to yield and it And you've all. probably heard us say this before, but that's the first thing we do when we wake up in the morning. Mm -hmm. We genuinely do. We both just surrender our hands to Almighty God, and we talk to Him for just a little bit, but we surrender to Him, because that's the safest and the most wonderful place to be. Praying God's word is surrender to the will of God and cooperation with that will, his will. If I throw out a, a, a boat hook from the boat and I catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Pull yourself to the shore. Hmm. Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but it's the aligning of my will to the will of God. That's what I'm talking about. In Romans chapter 6, verse 13, it says, Do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. Instead, give yourselves completely. And what percentage would that be? 100%. Give yourself completely, 100% to God. Surrender. You know, since you have been given new life, and use your whole, and what percentage is whole? 100%. And use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. You know, to honor Him. John chapter 14, verse 15 says, and this is Jesus talking he says, if you love me, obey my commandments. A surrendered life loves God. So he says, if you love me, obey my commands. You know, and his commands are awesome and amazing. And God lets you in on all kinds of wonderful things and he uses you to advance his kingdom in wonderful, powerful ways. Obey. To comply with, to follow instructions, guidelines, commands, restrictions, and wishes. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 it says, <coughs> I don't say that. I just had to clear my throat. <laughs> he says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, 
Follow God's example in everything. 100%. That's a surrendered life. Follow God's example in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled 100%. Live a life filled with love for others following the example of Christ. Are you following him? Yes. Okay, I'll just check and see. <laughs> you know, are you filled with love for other people? Yes. Those things go together. Following the example of Christ who loved you and gave himself as a sacrifice to take away your sins. And God was pleased because that sacrifice was like sweet perfume to him. Let me read you something that Martin Luther said. He says, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, I still possess. Mm -hmm. So have you put yourself and the things that you love the most in God's hands or have you tried to cling to them yourself? Romans chapter 12 verse 1 it says, and so, dear Christian friends, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice you know, that you have surrendered to him, the kind he will accept. And when you think of what he has done for you, is that too much to ask? No. Certainly not, you know. Now there's a song, it's pretty simple, and it's pretty short, and I think it kind of goes like, I surrender all of me to you, Lord. I surrender all of me to you. I surrender all of me to you. a complicated song. You can memorize it really, really quick, but it's powerful. When you're surrendering yourself to God and God says, thank you that we have come to him and given all of our life to him. You know, surrender is really about yielding our rights to God. So many times as Christians, we want to demand our rights. You know, we want to... um, Find out what God wants from us in this situation and not just demand our rights. We want his will and not our own. And back in 1994, um, our son Judah was probably about 15, 16 years old at that time. I'm thinking 15. Um, And uh, we had already... You know, when we first got married, we wanted a dozen kids. You know, that's just what we... We're still shooting for them. (laughs) Anyway, and, uh, we, uh, we had uh, our son Judah, and then many of you know we had a baby that was stillborn a few years after that, and then I had a miscarriage, and then just years of barrenness, you know. So uh, in 1994, we got on our knees in uh, his study over when we lived in the parsonage next door, and 
we have been learning a principle about yielding our rights to God instead of demanding our rights, yielding our rights to God and saying, God, I yield my rights to you. You know what's best for me, so I give it all to you. It was a place of surrender. And so we got on our knees and we said, Lord, we yield our rights to having any more children to you. We're thankful that we have Judah. We're thankful that we have two in heaven, you know, that we'll look forward to spending eternity with. But we yield our rights to having any more kids to you. And then we said, and Lord, instead, since we don't have any more kids, we're going to pour our lives into the children of Faith Living Church. And we started doing children's ministry different from that point on. That was the first year we did VBA. You know, instead of just on a small scale, on a huge scale, we had been doing like smaller things earlier than that. But we ramped it up. We started doing super church instead of just small, you know, uh, Sunday school classes. And so we, we began to do it that from that day on, do super church and children's ministry different. Well, about six weeks after we knelt and yielded our rights to having any more kids to God, I found out I was pregnant. I think I got pregnant that night, you know, uh, just all figures out, you know, but, and we said, why didn't we do this years ago? But we didn't realize the principle of just simply yielding our rights to God and surrender. And, um, and by yielding our rights to him, you know, we had Benjamin, who is now 29 years old, our daughter Miracle, who was a twin, and I miscarried her twin, but she uh, is 27 year old. 27, 27 years old, and then our son James will be 25 next weekend. So as a result of yielding our rights to God, he gave us three more kids, you know, which is pretty amazing. But it goes right along with what Martin Luther said. Anything that I hold on to, I lose. But anything that I surrender to God, I still I have, you know, I still uh still possess so you're right there you never lose out when you yield to god you never lose out when you surrender your rights to him romans chapter 12 verse 2 says don't copy the behavior and customs of this world our world is pretty self-centered don't you think yes Yes. so don't copy this old world but let god transform you into a new person By changing the way you think. And you know what helps with that? Phenomenally, you know, this book is called the Bible. It changes the way you think. And if you'll take a little bit of time and you'll read through that, you'll just read a little bit every day or every night. It changes the way you think. So let's surrender our thoughts to Almighty God. A.W. Tozer said, what we think about When we are free to think about anything, that is what we really are or will soon become. Good thoughts bear good fruit. Bad thoughts bear bad fruit. So which seeds are you planting in your garden? Are you planting some good seeds? Are you planting some bad seeds? And it all has to do with what do you think? Day and night, what are you thinking? What are you planting? Our seed, our thoughts are seeds. It really, it really is. Romans chapter 8 verse 5 says, Those who are dominated or, or ruled by the sinful nature, think about sinful things. 
But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. God can work best through a totally surrendered, love-filled life. Are we totally surrendered to Him? Are we filled with love for, for Him and, and His creation? Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says, For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become, and He chose them to become like His Son. Does anybody know who he is? Jesus. And he chose us to be like his son, Jesus. So that his son would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. Now you remember surrendering your sails. What happens when you surrender your sails to Almighty God? What happens when you surrender a sail on a sailboat? It fills up and you... Wind catches you, don't it? And it powers you, you know, uh, to this ever-present wind. When you're out there on the ocean somewhere, you know, you surrender to God and God empowers us. We experienced that. We have. We had a little sailboat called a sunfish years ago when Judah was little. And I know. And I, when I first saw it and we, we got it, it was a used sailboat. And I thought, this is awesome. And then we went somewhere in Rhode Island. Berlin game. To a campground and they have a big lake out there. And we all climbed into the sailboat, you know, and we took off. And it was awesome going with the wind. But then when you wanted to come back across the other way, it didn't necessarily want to obey you. I'm telling you the truth. So I kind of unloaded the boat with Susan and Judah on the shore. And I said... Let me go figure out how to use this thing. And I just sailed up and down and up and all around the lake out there and finally came back and we had a great time after I figured out how to use it, you know. So that's pretty important how to use it. But when the wind did fill those sails, it would clip along pretty fast. And then you could tip that little sailboat over on its edge and just be ripping through the water. That was awesome. You want to go do that today? No, not okay. today. <laughs> all right. I gave that sailboat away anyhow. Yeah. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son Jesus, so that his son would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 27 says, And I will put my spirit in you, so you will obey my laws and do whatever I command. Now, God said he's going to put his Holy Spirit in us. And he's talking about you as well. I will put my spirit in you. So you will obey my laws. That's what he says. And you'll do whatever I command. See, the greatness of a man's power is a measure of his surrender to God. The more you surrender to God, the greater the power that God depends inside of you. That's just the truth of it. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will give you mighty inner strength through his Holy Spirit. See, and his resources are unlimited, you know, as, as um, 
the rivers and, and, and the the lake are when you think about it. And you know, oceans. You're you're right. You know, uh, are you surrendered to Him? Are you surrendered to Him? Am I surrendered to Him? It changes everything in our life when you surrender yourself to the Almighty, the All-Knowing, the All-Powerful God. He works in us in amazing kinds of ways. He he really does. And I I think it's, you know, when we accept Christ as our Savior and then we proclaim Him as Lord, that means that we're fully yielded to Him, you know, that He is the Master, the one that's in control. But, you know, in my life, it's really been, the whole journey has been one surrender after another. Even though I thought I'd surrendered everything, you know, every once in a while, God just puts his finger on something and says, uh-uh, you haven't surrendered that yet. You know, whether it's an attitude or a way that I deal with something or something to do with my health or my family or whatever. You know, he's continually, you know, putting his finger on another area that, oh yeah, I need to surrender that area. Absolutely. To be fully surrendered. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 17 says, And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts. You know, do you want Jesus to become more and more at home in your heart? Yes. He says, And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. May your roots, wow, may your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. Does your roots just grow down deeper and deeper and deeper into the soil of God's marvelous love? That's what he's saying right here. You know, verse 18 says, and may you have the power to understand as God's people should, that you'll have the power to understand this. How wide and how long and how high and how deep his love really is. You can, you can understand that. If you seek him, you can. And verse 19 goes on to say, and may you experience And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is so great, you will never fully understand it. That's kind of an interesting verse there. Mm -hmm. Verse 19. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is so great, you will never fully understand it. And then you will be filled with the fullness of God and power that comes from God. You know, that's really a prayer if you look at it. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 19. It's an awesome prayer to pray for yourself. It's an awesome prayer to pray for other people. So I would encourage you to go back to that, you know, and, and begin to pray that for those that you love. Um, there was an evangelist. His name is Louis Palau. Many of you have probably heard of him. And this is an article where he talks about his decision to commit his life to Jesus Christ. As Christians, we can all look back to the time when we committed our lives to Jesus Christ. I made that crucial decision while growing up in a troubled nation of Argentina, South America. 
My parents started their family in a small town in the province of Buenos Aires. Around the time of my birth, my father considered himself a typical non-religious person. My mother, however, served as the organist of the local parish church. She longed to know God in a personal way, but neither she nor my father knew the gospel. That is, not until they met Edward Rogers. Rogers was a British missionary, although he was fully self-supporting as an executive of the Shell Oil Company. He came to Argentina for the express person purpose of winning people to Christ. My mother soon accepted Christ through the witness of Rogers, but my father said he didn't want anything to do with the gospel. Yet his curiosity drew him to the small chapel Sunday after Sunday, where he stood outside to listen while Rogers preached. One Sunday, he finally entered the chapel and sat with my mother. During the middle of the service, he stood up to proclaim, I receive Jesus Christ as my only and sufficient Savior. Rogers, the preacher, was so startled, he stopped preaching for a few moments. My mother nearly fainted. After my father's conversion, both my parents became active and outspoken for their faith. So like many others, I grew up attending Sunday school and church. I knew many songs and choruses and stories but I didn't know Christ. Oh, if someone had asked me, I could stand up and quote a few verses. I could even say a prayer if you asked me, but I didn't know Christ. When I was seven, my father decided it was time that I went to a private boarding school. Back then, such schools in Argentina were run by the British. At the boarding school, I became active in all the games and sports and classes and improved my English. Many of my new friends went to church each Sunday, just as I still did, but most of them weren't Christians. Even though I enjoyed attending the boarding school, I was not completely happy. I felt a tremendous burden of guilt. I hadn't committed any terrible sins, but I did have a foul mouth. Whenever something went wrong, I cut loose with a series of dirty words. One of my teachers, Charles Cohen, eagerly sought to win my friends and me to Christ. Each summer, he held a two-week Christian camp in the mountains. And one summer, he persuaded me to go. My camp counselor's name was Frank Chandler. Every night, Chandler would come into our tent and wake up one camper, get him out of bed, and take him outside. There, under the stars, with a Bible in one hand and a flashlight in the other, He would sit down with the boy and lead him to faith in Christ. Even though I felt guilty for my sins and knew I needed to make a Christian commitment, I didn't want to face up to the issue with anyone. But eventually, every other boy in our tent had talked to Chandler. When he came in on the last night of camp, I knew he was coming for me. I pretended I was asleep, thinking he would go away. He didn't. He shook me, but I kept my eyes closed. He knew I was faking, so he picked up the cot and dumped me onto the floor. Obviously, I couldn't pretend I was sleeping after that. Come on, Palau, he said. Get up. I I didn't know it, but this was going to be the best night of camp. We went outside and sat on a fallen tree. It was cold, and a light rain was beginning to fall. Chandler knew he had to hurry. 
He pulled out his flashlight and opened his New Testament. Louis, he asked, are you a Christian or not? And I said, I don't think so. Well, it's not a matter of whether you think so or not. Are you or aren't you? No, I'm not. If you die tonight, are you going to heaven or to hell? I sat quietly for a moment, a bit taken aback, and then said, I'm going to hell. Is that where you want to go? No, I replied. Then why are you going there? I shrugged my shoulders. I don't know. Chandler turned in his Bible and read Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth, or with your lips, Louis, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, Louis, that God raised him from the dead, you, Louis, will be saved. For man believes with his heart and so is justified, and he confesses with his lips and so is saved. He looked back at me. Louis, do you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead? Yes, I do, I said. Then what do you have to do next to be saved? I hesitated as it began raining even harder. Chandler had me read Romans 10, 9 once more. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Louis, are you ready to confess him as your Lord right now? Yes. All right, let's pray. Chandler put his arm around me and led me in prayer. I opened my heart to Christ right there, out in the rain, sitting on a log, in a hurry, but I made my decision. I prayed, Lord Jesus, I believe you were raised from the dead. I confess you with my lips. Give me eternal life. I want to be yours. Save me from hell. Amen. When we finished praying, I was crying. I gave Chandler a big hug and we ran back to the tent. I crawled under my blanket and with my flashlight and wrote in my Bible, on February 12, 1947, I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. When I read that, I was a little stumped because he said he was at a summer camp. And I'm like, how is that summer? Summer's not in February. But then I remembered they were south of the equator in South America. And the seasons are reversed there. So it made sense then. So on February 12, 1947, I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. I was only 12 years old. So I had no idea I would someday become a U.S. citizen and proclaim the life-changing gospel around the world. But I knew this. I was born again. I was saved. I was a member of the family of God. I had eternal life because Christ said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. John 10, 28. I could hardly sleep. I was so excited about committing my life to Jesus Christ. After all, it is the most important decision anyone can ever make. That's right. Compared to eternal life, all other decisions aren't that important when you think about it. C.S. Lewis said it well. No man is ready to live life on earth until he is ready for life in heaven. My heart's desire is to preach the gospel wherever the Lord leads so that as many as possible can be ready. Romans chapter 8, verse 2. It says, For the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you through Christ Jesus from the power of sin that leads to death. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, 
And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, He gives freedom. He gives freedom. Everybody should ask. Why don't we pray for just a moment? We hear a sorry. Papa God, we don't know what's going on out there, but we ask that you would bless with us a fire truck, whatever it might be, and those yes, who are responding to an emergency somewhere, yes, we ask that you help them to meet the need and draw those people into a very safe place. Yes, Father. And we ask that you would just draw them all to a relationship with you. Yes, Father. Forgive their sins, almighty God, and may they come to know you in a very personal way. Yes. Protect them, Lord, as they travel and they go help one another in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just as a side note, something interesting happens. It's the first of the year. We got a, a call from the uh, fire chief here in town, and he asked if he could bring in uh, the firemen, you know, different groups to our church building and uh, and just so that they could be familiar with all the nooks and crannies of our church. And I guess it's a new program that they've started, and they wanted to do our church first. And so for the, well, I think it was for the last three Wednesdays since the first of the year, they would come and Sue would give them a tour of everything, you know, just so they would know if there was ever any emergency, they would know all about the building. It wouldn't be coming into it, you know, cold turkey and not knowing what's going on. But in each of those sessions, Sue had an opportunity to share with them how we pray for them. You know, anytime we hear a siren and that you as a church congregation, wherever you are, when you hear a siren, many of you have adopted that same habit as well. And she said it just meant so much to them, you know, that knowing that we are praying for them was huge. So keep it up. They need our prayers. All the first responders do. Everybody should ask, Lord, what do you want me to do with the rest of my life? Have you ever talked to God like that? Lord, what do you want me to do with the rest of my life? He has a purpose for us. all. He genuinely does. An American soldier in the Vietnam War was about to step on an anti-personnel landmine that was hidden from his sight. His comrade across the battlefield who could see the impending disaster he was getting ready to step on this landmine from his vantage point, he stood up from behind his protective barricade where he was hiding for safety and he shouted a life-saving warning to his friend. At that moment, the brave young man received a gunshot wound that ended his life. A couple of years later, at an honorary memorial service in the United States, a soldier whose life had been saved from the landmine had a chance to meet the wife and son of his deceased friend. The son, who was only seven years old, had never gotten a chance to really know his father. The soldier could tell this boy's heart was broken. So he knelt down next to him and put his hand on the child's shoulder. I want you to know, the soldier said, your father saved my life. The little boy looked up at him 
with tears streaming down his cheeks. Sir, he said, were you worth it? That's a pretty huge question for a kid to ask. Were you worth my dad giving his life for? Leonard Ravenhill once asked the question, is what you're living, is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? Is what you're living for, is it, was it worth Jesus dying? Yes. Is, is what you're living for today and tomorrow, is it, is it worth Christ dying for? Think about that. It really helps us to evaluate our priorities and what, why, why we do what we do. You're right. Psalms 143 verse 10 says, Teach me to do your will. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. Onward, upward. You know, and surrender, you know. You know, surrender all of your will to the Father. John chapter 5, verse 30 says, But I do nothing with, this is Jesus talking, says, But I do nothing without consulting the Father. That's what Jesus said. But I do nothing without consulting the Father. I judge as I am told. And my judgment is absolutely just because it is according to the will of God who sent me. It is not merely my own. So if Jesus did that, if he didn't do anything without consulting the Father, so much more do we need to. We really do. We need to consult our Heavenly Father and ask him for wisdom to lead us and guide us in everything that we do. And desire His will more than our own. You're 100% right. Because His will's best. You're right. He knows best. In India, there's a Bible institute run by Dr. Samuel Thomas, a modern-day hero of the Christian faith. Each year, this Bible institute has a commencement ceremony where students who have finished their studies are together for one final time before leaving this institute as graduates. What is so profound is that the climax of this commencement ceremony is the time when the entire graduation class rises and repeats words very similar to these. Today, I stand as a dead man. I declare that in Jesus Christ I am saved by His blood and thus I am dead to sin and no longer dead in my sin. Today I stand and declare that I surrender my will and my life to His will and His life. I shall go where He sends me without asking questions. I shall go to whomever he sends me without seeking fame. I shall preach to everyone, even if they hate me. I am an ambassador of the cross and must deliver the message. I shall pour my life out to reach my family, my friends, my neighbors, and my city. I embrace the shame of the cross. 
I fear nothing but God. I welcome suffering, shame, persecution, beatings, imprisonment, and death. But I will not be silenced. If I am killed, I pray that my blood should be a harvest for souls. This is my city. I dare not do less. Following graduation, each student is given three, only three items. Number one, a new Bible. Number two, a new bicycle. Number three, a one-way train ticket to their field of service. They have no plan B, and neither should we. Bobby Richardson, former New York Yankee second baseman, once prayed a powerful prayer. He said, Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. What a powerful prayer to pray. Dear God, your will, today, tomorrow, whenever, nothing more, just want your will. Nothing less than that than your will. And nothing else. An interesting tidbit of information after we shared that last night, um, Joseph Miano came up to me and said that um, many, you know, we've all heard of Mickey Mantle through the years, you know, but um, that uh, Bobby Richardson was able to leave, lead Mickey Mantle to Christ, you know, which was huge. You know, that he he had an impact on the other players with the Yankees, but he was able to lead him to Christ. So that's, he he really did yield it all to God and say, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. It's a powerful prayer. And that's why we're all still here. That is why we're here. You know, God's got a purpose for us. Mm -hmm. He's got a purpose for each one of you. He has a purpose for us being here. Hmm. I want to just challenge us right now because we got quite a few pages left. And I don't think we're going to get through them today. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think we should just really recommit our lives to Christ. I'm going to tell you, there ain't nothing like it in the whole wide world than living for Him and living with Him and knowing Almighty God. There's nothing like it. So, why don't you pray for us just to rededicate our lives to him in a real and genuine way that each man and woman, boy and girl, would really just recommit their lives to Christ. Okay, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father. Dear Heavenly Father. I believe. I believe. That you love me so much. That you love me so much. That you sent your son Jesus. That you sent your son Jesus. To die on the cross. To die on the cross. For my sins. For my sins. I'm sorry for my sins. I am sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And I thank you. And I thank you. That the price that Jesus paid. That the price that Jesus paid. Paid for it all in full. Paid for it all in full. I believe. I believe. That Jesus rose from the dead. 
that Jesus rose from the dead. Three days later. Three days later. To give me a new life. To give me a new life. A resurrected life. A resurrected life. Dead to my old sinful nature. Dead to my old sinful nature. And alive to you. And alive to you. I want to live my life. I want to live my life. According to your will. According to your will. And not my own. And not my own. I surrender. I surrender. Everything. Everything. To you, Lord. To you, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. And Papa God, I ask your blessings to be poured about, poured out upon each man and woman and boy and girl in this old building. Yes. We ask that you would empower us and you would give us clarity of what you want us to do with the rest of our lives. Bless these families, oh Papa God. Body, soul, and spirit, bless them. Give them wisdom from above. Deliver them from every evil thing and empower them, almighty God, to live in a way that truly honors you. Yes. Bless them, heal them, strengthen them, lead them and guide them. We ask in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 